0: Hey y'all, this is Cold Cases Colts Murder. Oh my, and I'm Pamela with my dog Sam, and today we're on the case. And this one is much more lighthearted than what I said I was going to cover. So, <laughs> instead of getting, you know, a 15-year-old kidnapped and murdered or the candy man who murdered a whole bunch of I think young boys, um we're going to get something a little less deathy. And you may be wondering what exactly that is. Well, let's talk about how I chose this case. But before we do that, let's just say happy birthday to Edgar Allan Poe, which my dog's name is Poe after Edgar Allan Poe. So there we go. That's all that. And uh, so I chose this case because, well, you know, Texas decided to be a little extra this week and freeze. So, and also, I, well, after I chose the case, I fell down the stairs at my house. And so, yeah, my back is still a little hurting, but you know, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. It's all right. So uh, back to the point here, Um, Texas froze. So I decided to sit down and watch some TV With some extra time I had or didn't have, I just made it extra time on Monday because it was a vacation and I decided I wanted to watch something funny. So I found on Hulu the movie Mastermind and, well, it looked funny. I never would have guessed that it was based on a true crime. But, you know, I figured that out and at the end, whenever they started showing like pictures of the people like, the actual people who committed the crime and, like, putting up facts about them. So then I decided, you know, I'm going to look into the case. And, well, I started looking into the case, and I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to cover this this week for my episode. So here we are. For those who haven't seen the movie or can't remember anything about the movie, we're looking this week into the case of the loomis fargo heist it is one of the greatest heist in american history Uh, so i believe it's number four on the list of like who stole the most money um but you know it is still considered one of the greatest heist in american history so it took place on october 4th 1997 in charlotte north carolina however with all the mistakes that piled up, you will be surprised that they were even able to pull this off in the first place. So without further ado, let's get into the case and we'll meet our main man, David Gant. He was a Gulf War vet who'd never been in any kind of trouble with the law. He'd he'd been married at the time of the crime, but you know what? None of that mattered when he met bad girl Kelly Campbell who started working for Loomis Fargo. Mm. They became, well, friends. I'm just kidding. They started up a relationship fairly quickly, and, well, they kept seeing each other even after Kelly would leave Loomis Fargo. Um, She would later deny that there was ever anything romantic between the two of them, but the fbi said that is a lie well maybe it wasn't put quite that way but they did have evidence that showed otherwise so once que- sorry about that once kelly quit her job she started hanging out with an old friend his name was steve chambers and well steve here he was a low-level criminal and he was also an fbi informant which is kind of crazy that you're going to rob a bank when you're the freaking FBI informant. But that's a different, that's a different road altogether. So Steve suggested to Kelly that they should rob the Loomis Fargo Bank. Because, well, they were both a little out of money. And, you know, what else are you going to do while you're sitting around trying to come up with ways to get money? Obviously, you're going to think of a really bad idea. So Steve even reminded her that they already had an inside man in David because, you know, he was just like head over heels for Kelly. Uh, so Kelly took the plan to David. You know, David, he only made $8 and some change an hour at his job. So he thought, you know what, maybe I deserve more. So He was so in love with Kelly, he was just like, okay, sounds like a great Friday night date. Seems he did not put too much thought into this before he said yes. Also, has he never heard the song about I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that? Clearly not. And I'm just saying, you know, come on, David, have some better standards or something. I don't know. So, David would later be quoted saying, I was unhappy with my life. I wanted to make a drastic change and I went for it. Well, drastic change he did make. So maybe he was like having a midlife crisis. You know, some guys buy overpriced sports cars and chase women way too young for them. Whereas David, David was like, hold my beer. I'm about to commit the heist of a lifetime. So what was the plan of these knuckleheads? What did they come up with? Well, it was simple, really. See, on October 4th, 1997, David would stay at work late. So like, you know, his shift has ended and he's like going to just hang out there. Now, he would get rid of the the trainee. He'd be like, hey, you can go home Marley. It's all right. I got all this. And then there are mixed reports some say that kelly and steve were in helping him load the money others say it was just david himself that was loading the money either way he threw as much money oh either way he was supposed to throw all the money into the van and leave and then david was supposed to get 50000 of his cut and leave for mexico and one article that I read said that 50000 was as much money as you could cross the border with without drawing suspicion. Then Steve said that, like, after some time, like, he would hold on to the rest of David's money. And then after some time, like, David could come back and they would split the money. Oh, and he also told David that, you know, when you need some money, you know, just call me and I'll, I'll wire you some money. And then once the heat's off, you can come back and we'll split it. So at this point in the plan, you can see that David was not a criminal and that he was just doing this for love. I mean, who would willingly just leave and hope that the money would be sent to him while he was on the lam? I mean, obviously, David would. But I mean, never trust a criminal, David. He'll double cross you every time. As For the heist itself, it went off as good as one would would expect with these three unlikely masterminds. On October 4th, David sent home the employee he had been training. Then, when the coast was clear, he disabled two security cameras and took the tapes out. Ready to put his plan into action? You know David was. However, he forgot Or he didn't know about the third camera. David would later go on to say, I didn't even know about it and overlooked it. I feel like, I feel like I don't have to tell you that this mistake would come back to bite him in the butt. Turns out the third camera caught everything that was going to happen. I mean, we're working with a real genius here. I mean, you have to be. Then David ran into another problem. But hey, luckily, David didn't have a plan for this problem because he never even to he never even stopped to think about this problem. And what problem might that be, you might be asking? Well, see, there are, I read this article that said that um, so armored cars use armored cars or like maybe I said that wrong. Um Armored cars are used to move money because the money is so heavy. I don't really know if that's true or not. I couldn't really find a true and am- like an answer that said, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a secure a security reason as well, but the one article I read did say that that, you know, they had to use um they had to use an armored car because moving large amounts of money is It's very heavy. So I feel like that I probably just rambled through that. And if I did, let's blame it on the fact that I slid down the stairs this week and I'm not all there. But uh, I didn't know that, you know, like money, like you could not just put it in a car and move it. Like I didn't think about how heavy it was. But then again, I don't really have, you know, a whole lot of moving of tons of money. So anyways, back to the point here. I just want to say that their well thought out plans seem to have really big holes. Do I? Sorry, that's right. I just want to say that, uh, you know, David, he should have already known about this problem because, I mean, he does work there and he's worked there for years. So you would think you would have known that. And uh well, there were just a couple of really big holes in this plan. As you can see from the prob from as you can see that sorry, let's hope I can fix this. As you can see, uh from the problems that have already piled up that uh you know, it's not going great. But don't you worry. These three came up with a plan on the fly. They would Throw all the money into the back of a armored van, you know, just however much they could get in there. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, these guys are on fire. I can't imagine anything going wrong. Well, one thing, they didn't get as much money as they planned, but, you know, they did manage to fit 17.3 million in the back of the van. So I think they did pretty okay as far as, you know, robbing a bank so once this was done um david he left for mexico with his share of the money and then the next day david's wife he called the police said nope she sorry she called the police saying that her husband never came home that night i mean i'm just saying are the police really going to pay attention to that i mean honestly if there had been nothing else to go on I don't think so. But uh, we're getting there. So she's all, oh, my husband is missing. And the police were probably like, yeah, uh, yeah. So when the police went to Loomis Fargo, they found that the employees could not open the vault that morning. And uh, the fact that coupled with the fact that his wife had said, you know, he didn't come home last night and he wasn't at work. They dedu- they deduced that David might have had something to do with this heist. I mean, do you think? But they wouldn't have to speculate for long as to who who did who took all the money because, well, the only remaining uh, security camera left behind. Yeah, they watched that and they saw David doing a little dance after loading up all the cash that he could get into the van it only took the police 2 days to find the van and 3 million in cash along with the other two security tapes still inside the van so steve and his buddies simply left what they couldn't carry off so let's take a moment to give these criminals a round of applause for their stupidity i mean hello. You're knocking it out of the park, but not really. Also, I want to say, if they were giving out Darwin Awards back then, well, then these three would have, you know, been the top three winners for their accomplishments. With all this information, you would have thought this would have been an open and shut case. However, it did take a hot minute. So, They they were thinking, you know, oh, we just need to pick up David and then he'll tell us who helped him with this crime. So that was obviously a problem because, you know, as we know, David was in Mexico. However, Steve and Kelly would not make it too hard to figure out that they were also the ones who helped in the crime. See, at first, Steve was like, hey, we're not spending no money right after the robbery. Because, hey, that's going to drive, that's going to draw attention. That's a way to use your melon. However, it does seem that after Steve saw the money, he was like, dang, I can't wait. So uh, I say this because, well, Steve and his wife, Michelle, they moved from their rundown trailer in the old trailer park, I'm assuming, I don't really know if they lived in a trailer park, but they did live in a rundown trailer. So, into a mansion in a good neighborhood. Don't you know the neighbors were like, Just I'm just guessing. But they didn't stop there. Because, well, I mean, if you're going to buy a mansion, you're also going to need to decorate. Right? I mean, who doesn't do that? Oh, but they didn't stop there. They also paid cash For a couple of new high-end cars. Um, David, he even got a BMW sports car. I don't know exactly. Not David. Sorry. Steve. Steve got a high-end BMW sports car. So this is giving me some Collin Street Bakery vibes. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, you know, Sandy and his wife just couldn't wait to spend the money on things that they probably shouldn't have spent money on. But anyways, then Michelle, being Steve's wife, well, she wondered just how much one could deposit into a bank without drawing attention of the FBI. And Michelle here, she doesn't disappoint. She's just as great of a criminal as the other three. So what does she do? Well, fear not, because she was really using her noggin and decided to take a trip to the bank and ask one of the bank tellers, you know. So it's reported that she actually said to the bank teller, now hang on guys, this is going to blow your mind. How much can I deposit before you have to report it to the feds, she asked. And then she decided to go one step further and said, don't worry, it's not drug money. I mean, way to go, Michelle she really knows how to set someone's mind at ease. So even though Michelle went out of her way to inform them that the money was totally not illegally acquired, that sounded really weird, illegally required. Um, I'm sure that it will be a shock to no one. The teller was still suspicious. Even more so because of the fact that the stacks of money still had Loomis Fargo wrapping on the money. So like that little band that goes around the like money when you get a whole bunch of money. I mean, I don't have ever had a whole bunch of money, but that band, well, it was still attached. So, I mean, wow. Just wow. These guys are knocking this criminal life right out of the ballpark. <laughs> Not. So, of course, the teller reported the conversation and money immediately because everyone knew about the Loomis Fargo heist. Now there is one thing that I will say that made it kind of hard to prove that the money that she was depositing was actually um the money that was taken in the heist. Uh the money that was taken actually had a whole like it was mixed up. It didn't have like you couldn't look at the serial numbers and they were all in line or whatever. So that was one thing that made it kind of difficult. But I mean, hello, they came in and it was still wrapped in Loomis Fargo paper. So, you know, there's that. But you know what? Let's check back in with David, see how he's faring in Cosmo. You know, he's just relaxing with no cares in the world. He just left his life behind and was blowing through money like it would never run out. Two things that he spent tons of money on were fancy hotels and scuba diving. When asked by reporters what the dumbest thing he spent money on, David admitted saying, for a pair of cowboy boots, I bought in one day. Why? What can I say? They were nice. And I was impulse shopping. So, of course, it didn't take long for David to run to be running low on funds. David, thinking that Steve was a stand-up guy and all, he reached out to him asking for, mo- for more money to be wired to him. Steve was annoyed by this request, which, if you remember the plan, that was what Steve had told Dave to do. So we all know that Steve was just blowing off smoke there. But so what was Steve to do about this problem, you may be wondering? Well, well, what would anyone in his situation do? I mean, oh, my goodness. And no, it's not send him the money, if that's what you were thinking, because, you know, that's sweet. Um, It would be it would be, of course, the next best thing, which would be, I don't know. Steve would hire a hitman to take care of David. I'm sure you're thinking winner, winner. This means more money. Nope. I'm sure he was thinking winner, winner, this means more money for myself. Chances are that he never planned on giving David any more money than what he had already had in the first place. It turns out that once the alleged hitman got to Mexico, he found out that he couldn't kill David. Instead, the two started hanging out and they even became friends. So it looks as if Steve couldn't even hire a professional hitman to do the job very well. Um, but David's time on the lam would be coming to an end shortly. He reached out to Steve and Kelly to tell them that he was still alive and he still needed more money. The FBI had tapped the phones and were listening in and found out David's location in Mexico. So David's time on the lam came to an end on in March of 1998. So clearly they weren't out very long. Then Kelly, Steve, and his wife, wife and many of their accomplices were soon arrested after that. Um, in the end, eight co-conspirators were indicted for the Loomis Fargo heist. There were also 24 charged in connection to the crime. The fact that the the fact that most of the money in the vault came from federal banks meant they were charged and tried in federal court. All but one person pled guilty. Uh, The one that did not plead guilty, his name, he was an attorney named Jeff Guller. I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. But he would end up serving eight years for money laundering some of the twenty-four were char were char- some of the fu- twenty-four that were charged were relatives and friends of the robbers that and the robbers had enlisted them to help set up safety deposit boxes at different banks. So the lesson here: if anyone asks you to give them a safety deposit box, the answer should be no, thank you. So, David was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison, but he would be released on parole after five years. Stephen was sentenced to 11 years, being the like highest amount of years given out. Um, he served his time and then was released. Kelly was sentenced with almost six years, but ended up serving just five for her part in the crime. However, they were all slapped with pretty big fines that they would never be able to pay back. For example, Kelly was hit with a $4 million fine. However, the cash from the Loomis Fargo heist was mostly recovered except for more than $2 million. David has never explained or told anyone where the money is. Also, I want to point out, how do we know David is the one who knows where the money is? I mean, I'm just saying. Anyways, after David was released from prison, he got a job as a construction worker. David was also brought on as a consultant for the movie Masterminds based on his crimes. So, um, yeah, this would wrap up the case this week. I hope you enjoyed the case as it's a lot more lighthearted than cases we normally cover. I just want to point out, I can't believe these guys lasted as long as they did on the run with all the mistakes they kept, all the mistakes that kept piling up. So thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review and follow us on whatever platform you listen on. And if you really liked us, tell a friend and we'll have a new case next week for you. Bye.